Well, Pastor Jim Hayes is our lead pastor, and he's the one who normally preaches every Sunday, but he is on vacation. Uh, you can pray for him. He's suffering in Lake Tahoe, and um, so pray for him. I'm sure he's having a rough time. But we get the privilege today of hearing from Steve Welling. He is the district executive minister for Converge Northwest, which is the network of churches of which we are a part. Uh, Steve has been here before. If you've been around a while, you may have heard him speak in the past. But he's been involved in some way or another that he'll tell you in a minute with LifePoint since the inception. And so uh, join me in welcoming Steve Welling this morning. <laughs> Thank you, Evan. I love uh, testing our pastors if they actually know what my job is, you know, what my title is. It's always, uh, it's always fun. <laughs> Put people on the spot. If you don't know what my job is, um, I'm the District Executive Minister of Converge Northwest. Converge is the association of churches that uh, LifePoint is a part of. We have about 100, 105 churches, depending on who you count, in the Northwest. My region is Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, and Alaska, and we're a national movement. And uh, I've been doing this job for 13 years. Again, if you've not heard of Converge, we used to be the Baptist General Conference or even Columbia Baptist Conference. I always called us the Baptist uh, we were the casual Baptists, but Baptists, but not angry about it. And um, and if if you really need to know what my my title is, um, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm like a bishop. When I say like a bishop, it's like a Baptist bishop, meaning I have absolutely no authority. And so I I get to go wherever I'm in, invited. And I'm so. Uh, uh, privileged to be here today. I, I guess I do want to say what a privilege it is to be here. Uh, I don't know how old the church is now, but I remember uh, while I was in this position uh, that Pastor Jim and I, and he, he hadn't started the church. I think he was working somewhere else. And we met together here, and we got in the car, and we drove all over Olympia and all over Lacey and just praying over this community and asking God, what would you have Jim and Marcy do, and look where we are now. I mean, not only do you have uh, a congregation, but you actually have a debt for a building. Okay, so <laughs> it's a whole different perspective when you look at it that way. That's poor Evan. In the first service, he said uh, the same thing. Hey, we have a building, and one person went, yeah. <laughs> I think people... Um, you, you really should be rejoicing that. It, buildings aren't the church, we know that, but they are wonderful tools, and it gives uh, a church an identity in the community, and it really is beneficial to you all. Uh, what I want to do in these few moments that we have together is I would like to do a little bit of autobiographical uh, sharing with you about my ministry, and I, I love what I do. Uh, what we do in Converge Northwest is we start and strengthen churches. So I'm very much involved with with uh, church planting and church um, consulting, if you will, leadership development, all those kinds of things. Though um, some of my smart-alecky ways to talk about my job, one of my descriptions is that my job is to go to meetings. I go to a lot of meetings. And here's the caveat. They're mostly meetings that no one wants to go to. So I've been doing this now for almost 13 years. I have 36 years in ministry that I've been engaged in, in professional ministry, I guess. Uh, one year of government work. 
I don't know, anybody work for the government here? So there's got to be somebody here. And so that was very educational for me. Um, and then five years uh, in business. I, I ran a business for five years. But these last 13 years now, I've, I've been in this position where I'm working with churches. And I've probably been in a couple hundred churches. I, I, I've done a number of things. But things have changed dramatically. This is the autobiographical part. Um, I am entering into a succession plan. Actually, we're entered into it. I am 65. My next birthday will be 66. And I used to, like, hide that. But I I tend to notice that people aren't surprised anymore. So... um, (laughs) I was in line. I was in line at Cordoba the other day, and the guy behind me asked if he could use my senior discount. And I said, "Well, which would have been nice, but I didn't know the guy at all. I mean, I just like it's kind of cruel." You know? Anyway, uh, so I've entered into this succession plan, and uh, we have a search committee. They've collected resumes, and those resumes are being reviewed right now. We hope that that committee will have a candidate to the board in September and that that candidate approved by the board would then come to the delegates of our annual meeting. We're 130 years old in the Northwest. We have to do things decently in order. And so at that annual meeting in October, we hope to have that candidate elected or uh, affirmed, confirmed, whatever terminology you use, uh, to succeed me and uh, take over the position. We don't know when that will be, depending on where they are. It uh, may take them a couple months uh, to show up, and if that's the case, whatever the case is, we have uh, built in a three-month overlap so that I can um, help educate the person into the role because it's really a different sort of role. Very different for me. I came in. I had one day of orientation, and that was from a man who came up from California and said, good luck. And then um, <laughs> you think I'm kind of kidding, but... Uh, I was the fifth guy to step into this position in a seven-year period. And so it was a kind of a position that was chewing people up and spitting them out. So if nothing else, we've, we've survived and we've provided some stability and we've done some good things. We've probably planted over, I don't know, it's 30, 35 churches that we've planted. We've helped a number of churches uh, grow and, and certainly helped a lot of uh, churches help with transition and different issues. Anyway, that's all good. But I, I'm stepping down in months, you know, you could even say weeks. And it, it's good for me to step down because I realize in looking at what's happened over these last 12, 13 years is that it's a different world. It's such a different world in this period of time. I didn't say this in the first, uh, in the first hour, but you know how many more people are in the U.S. than there were 12 years ago? 30 million 30 million, yeah, I don't know who we're counting, probably. That's just based on the census data. And uh, the 30 million people, you think of how many churches should we have been planting or could we have been planting to even meet the need there. We've we've got a lot of work to do. But anyway, the other thing that I often think about is, uh, where did I put this? This is my iPhone. This didn't exist when I started. There, there were no iPhones. Uh, there were no real smartphones. My phone actually was more like a, I don't know, it looked more like a, well, it wasn't the old brick, you know, that was like a shoebox, but um, 
wasn't that, not been that long. But it was kind of like a dry, uh, like a chalkboard eraser. It was about that size, and you actually had buttons that you pushed in to, uh, and that's all it did was it, it made phone calls. I kind of wish I could go back there. Now I have this phone. Uh, Twelve years ago, there was no such thing, at least in my awareness, of an app. I'd never heard of an app. Never heard of Instagram. Why? Because it didn't exist. Uh, there was no, not, almost all those social media uh, websites were, were non-existent. Most of the stuff that, you know, is just second nature. There was Facebook, but it was uh, on a few campuses, uh, maybe reaching eighteen to 20,000 people. And now it's, you know, over a billion people that are on, on Facebook. And the young people don't use Facebook because it's for old people. <laughs> <laughs> You look kind of young, and uh, you knew. You probably want my senior discount too. So, uh, okay. Well, this is the one that cracks me up. I've got a whole list of this stuff written down here. This is this is the biggest change that I could I could. Well, I don't want to skip this because this phone is now my camera, my maps, my email, my weather report, all my news, all the information of the world is at my fingertips. Never heard of Google a few years ago. And now it's just all here. It's, the world has changed dramatically, but here's how you really know the world has changed. Twelve years ago, Kim Kardashian had 856 friends on MySpace. <laughs> if you were younger and not on Facebook, you'd know how funny that is. So, <laughs> sorry. It's gonna be, somebody's out there going, this is going to be a long Hour. No, don't worry. It's not an hour. It's, uh, I already set my timer, so I, I will rein myself in. My common joke is I'm used to filling big rooms with words, big rooms with high ceilings, and I can fill them all day long. So I'm, I'll be good. I'll behave. Probably the way to describe uh, the job change for me comes from the story of my nephew, well, a few years ago, quite a few years ago now, but he was a little boy, and his family took him to Disneyland. His brother and uh, the rest of the family were really enjoying Disneyland, and he hated it. Everywhere they took him as this little guy, he just hated it. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, I hate it. You know, teacups, I hate it. Uh, small world, I really hate it. And... Uh, then they, yeah, no, it's kind of waiting for that one. And came around a corner, and there he saw something that we call Thunder Mountain. Familiar with that one? And he was just tall enough to get on the ride, and he loved trains. And finally, they found something that he loved in Disneyland. They get in the ride, and my brother-in-law takes his son and puts him in the front row of the train. And my little nephew, he's just loving it. He's, he's on a train. He loves trains. They pull away from the platform. Chugga, chugga, chugga. And he looks over his dad and goes, I like it. I like it. I'm on a train. They start going up the hill. Remember this ride? Up the hill they go. And he's looking out over more and more of the park. And he looks at his dad and he goes, I like this. And they get higher and higher, and he's liking it more. But then when they're really close to the top, he looks over at the side, uh, to the right side in particular, and he sees another train. And it's careening down the hillside, and people are screaming. Ah! 
<laughs> he turns to his dad just right about the time they hit the top, and he says, boy, dad, I'm sure glad we're not on that ride. <laughs> and then, you know, down we go. Well, I think when I took the job, I was a little bit like, I like it, I like it. And then I hit the top, and boy, I sure wish I wasn't on this ride. You know, So for 12 years, I've just been on this crazy crazy ride and uh, I'm coming toward the end and I've um, I've been thinking about what I want to say to people it's almost like this is my long slow farewell tour and I I believe that God's laid something on my heart that I just I'm just saying everywhere I go I said it last week in a church I'll say it next week in another church I'm saying it to you today it's built around uh, Initially, Psalm 11, verse 3. It'll be up on the board here in a sec. reads, When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? I don't know if you feel this, but the world has changed so much in, in my lifetime, and especially these last few years. And it does kind of feel at times like the foundation is crumbling. Uh, what used to be wrong is right. What used to be right to stand up against is now causing others to call people bigots. There's a lot of division in the land. We're, we're just in a crossroads. I'll use another verse in a moment about crossroads. But when, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Have you had that kind of feeling? What do I do? My, my favorite... Um, response to this came from a sermon I heard years ago. It's got to be, gosh, ages ago. But the sermon was being preached by Evie Hill. If you don't know that name, Evie Hill. Evie Hill was an African-American pastor. He was in the Los Angeles area and had a a, a big ministry, very influential. And I was in a, a setting where I was hearing him preach live. I had never heard him before. I didn't know who he was at the time. And if you know Evie Hill's style, it was kind of that African-American style where he, was, he would say something and he gets your attention. Now, what he said to this, he said, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And then he said, report for duty. And then he said it again, report for duty. And then he said it again, report for duty. And then he said it about 50 more times. And I'm not kidding when I say that. 50 more times. And the first couple times, I'm kind of laughing, I'm chuckling. And then about the 30th time, I'm going like, oh, my goodness, is he ever going to stop? And then about the 40th or 50th time, all of a sudden, it's like the Holy Spirit just said, he's talking to you and put down that shield over your heart. (laughs) Report for duty. Tears coming down my face. Sometimes the simplest sermons are so penetrating, aren't they? When all you need are just report for duty. Three words. So what I want to share with you today is, is essentially how. How would I encourage us, after my 36 years of ministry, I pastored churches of 100 and served in churches of you know 2,500. So I've kind of run the gamut. I've, these years worked you know, with churches. And I have a concern... I'll be honest, I have a very real concern. And that is that the American church seems to be driven a lot by American values. What do I mean by that? Well, I'll give you an example. Here, here's some American values. There's nothing more American than the National Football League. 
Amen? <laughs> yeah. I wish I'd said Jesus is Lord and you said amen. But, you know, when you get to the NFL, people really, you know, take you seriously. <laughs> in fact, I go to a lot of churches in, in football season. And when I was a kid, how did we go to church? I mean, we put on our, our jacket and tie, you know. And now on, on uh, game day, we put on our 12 jerseys. <laughs> so, it just cracks me up. A few years ago, the Seattle Seahawks had a campaign. And their campaign was bigger, stronger, faster. Anyone remember that one? Bigger, stronger, faster. And they would just say it over and over and make man sounds in the background. Ugh! You know, it's like, bigger, stronger, faster. Ugh! And I'm afraid sometimes that the American church has bought into American values too much. And we think that the solution is bigger, stronger, faster. And I'm here to say to you, my perception from this this point where I've gone on the ride and the train has come into the platform and I'm getting ready to step out. You know, the bar is going to lift and I'm going to step off the train onto the platform and go on the next part of my journey. At this stage, I would say that bigger, stronger, faster, there's nothing wrong with bigger, stronger, faster. Please hear that. But I think if we're going to be the church of Jesus Christ, what we need to be talking about is older, deeper, and higher. When I say older, I mean we worship God Almighty. He who is high and lifted up. He who is described in the Old Testament as the ancient of days. The one who said before the foundations of the earth, I made this plan. I loved you before the foundations of the earth. That's older. I think we need to be talking about older. I, I, I actually have a bunch of verses here that I, I like to throw out. Let's see. Where are those verses? Well, here's one. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before the creation of the world. That's Ephesians 1.4. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. That's Titus 1.2. Or 1 Peter 1.20. He, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed to us in these last times for your sake. I don't know. It, maybe it's because the foundations are crumbling... And life is hard. You may be struggling with a job situation. Maybe unemployed, I don't know. Maybe underemployed. Maybe the person you work with is driving you crazy. That's never happened before, has it? Uh, how about health? Dealing with health issues. You know, I'm getting older. All of a sudden, things don't work like they used to work. I, well, I mean, if nothing else, I was just admiring your beautiful hair. Because, look, I don't have any, oh, well, you know the problem. So, <laughs> it's, just, it's just amazing, isn't it? My wife married me because I had green eyes and long, flowing hair. She loved my hair, and it's all gone, except for the gray stuff that, you know, still comes out. And, 
Yeah, well, the green eyes were contacts. So <laughs> she, she really got the short end of the stick, I'll tell you. My wife and I have been married 43 years. And I, yeah, well, that's a good start, you know. Um, oh, gosh. So much I could share with you. Older, older things. I probably should just move on to a text. Jeremiah 6.16 is just such a great text for us when we think about the foundations. This is what Jeremiah uh, writes. He says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Isn't that interesting? Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And here's the promise. And you will find rest for your souls. You know, that promise is still true to us today. It's there. It's in principle. But then the next line is so painful. But you said, we will not walk in it. I think as followers of Christ and the Holy Spirit, now we have the opportunity to walk in it. We don't have to be in rebellion. Um, Look for the ancient paths and walk in it. I I think in response to when the foundations are falling down, the first thing we ought to do is we ought to think older. What are the older truths? What's been true that's always been true? Francis Schaeffer used the line, if you knew Francis Schaeffer, he would like to write about true truth. We live in a culture that, you know, you have your truth, I have my truth. But in reality, there's true truth. And the the true truth is the older, older things. Let me push on here. Next word I have is deeper things. When I, when I talk about deeper, do you guys mind if I walk out here? I feel so constricted by there. You guys don't come and sit in the front row. We've got the military stuff here. And then we have the uh, Presbyterians here, the Lutherans here, and the Baptists, you know, as they show up. Sorry. <laughs> oh, maybe you are. I don't know. Remember, we're the casual Baptists. Actually, we were renegade Lutherans. Did you know that? No. Yeah, we're at, we started out as renegade Lutherans. Um, the, uh, the State Church of Sweden because we were the Swedish Baptists, the State Church of Sweden arrested people in their homes for reading their Bibles in their homes. This is the 1840s, 1850s. State Church, Lutheran. And people were being arrested for reading their Bibles. So these Swedish Lutherans came to the America, uh, Americas for religious freedom. And someone said, oh, you're baptizing people by immersion. You must be Baptist. And went, oh, okay, whatever. And uh, <laughs> that's kind of how we got started and been around for a long time. Talk about a rabbit trail, huh? <laughs> deeper things. I think God wants to work on us at a deeper level than we usually allow. The verse that has been my life verse, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's never quite done with us. I've been a follower of Jesus for 50 years, almost 51 now, and he's still working on me. I talked about obedience for a moment ago. I'm telling you, I'm still working on obedience. I figured out a while ago that I've already mastered disobedience. <laughs> pretty experienced on delayed obedience. You know, it would just be good if I could learn to be obedient. And I'm still working on that. He's working on me in the deeper things. Uh, 
Romans 12, 1 and 2. He, um, somebody help me get started. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Here's the key, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that word transformed is, is uh, the same word that we get metamorphosis from, like the taking of a caterpillar and turning it into a butterfly. He's in the process of turning us into something more and more beautiful, more and more into the image of Christ. And that takes work. And I'm telling you, he's still working on me. I've already confessed my, my age. A few years ago, when I was approaching 60, God started working on me in new ways. And the way he was pressing on me was about reconciliation. And I was feeling it as I, I'm approaching 60. And, and I, in this job, I'm trying to help churches. So I go to this workshop on um, peacemakers, and it's all about reconciliation. It happened down in Portland. I'm sitting there, and of course, I go with the intent, God, teach me something that I can use to fix those churches. And while I was there, God said, well, on top of wanting to fix those churches, maybe you ought to be working on reconciliation in your own life. And he just started pressing me. And, and the breastplate of arrogance uh, in, in place of righteousness was, was being penetrated. What you don't know is that in all those years of ministry, I had some, I don't like it, the first phrase was in my mind, skeletons in the closet. But I, I had one in particular that came to mind. I had a friend that I worked with in two different ministries. We were, we were like the best of friends for a season of life. We were friends for 11 years. And then I hired him to work for me, and it didn't work. And in the end, he left uh, working with me and went to another ministry. And I tried to maintain the relationship. And I remember I called him after he left, and it was a short call because he needed to go and hung up. A week or two later, I call him again. Remember, this is someone who's been a friend who walked with me through crisis. I mean, personal crisis stuff. I call him a second time to try and maintain this relationship. And his parting words to me after a short call were these. He said, Steve, you never have to call me again. In fact, I prefer you don't. Yeah, it hurt. And guess what? I kept my word. I didn't contact him for 19 years. And then I went to this conference in Portland on reconciliation, and God had to have his way. And so I, I made a phone call. I, I knew where he was. I looked up where he was, and he was in another state now, serving in another church. I, I called the church. The lady answers. She takes my name. And uh, he picks up, and he goes, Steve? I said, yeah, hi, person who shall not be named because I don't want to you know, tell that part of the story. But he said, uh, well, before he could go very far, I said, I know it's been a long time, and you may remember or may not, I don't know, but you asked me not to ever call you again, and I'm sorry I am right now, but God's been laying it on my heart. I told him you know, what was going on, and he said, I'm so glad you did. And we reconciled over the phone. And it was not, I acknowledged 
my side of the story. He acknowledged his side of the story. And don't get me wrong, we're not going on vacation together, but um, we are at least Facebook friends. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was hard was we worked in two different ministries and had hundreds of people that knew us as a, as a team who, you know, we'd both moved on, and they approached both of us and say, hey, how is so-and-so? How is Steve? And it was so awkward. And I mean, oh, well, yeah, I think he's serving in where, you know, you just cover it over. We reconciled after 19 years. Well, Lord, thank you for peeling away that layer. I'm glad I'm deeper now. And then the Lord said, you know, we're not done. And I started going back through my life and looking at the people that I knew that I had um, challenges with. I started contacting them. I, I just explained to them, I'm, I'm going back. And I, I learned the difference between asking for forgiveness and asking uh, permission to say I'm sorry. When I would say, and I learned this, uh, will you forgive me? It like puts a burden on them. So I, I stopped doing that, and I just started saying, hey, I just need you to know I'm really sorry. And if they chose to forgive, that was up to them. But I was doing my part to create reconciliation. I went back 43 years to my high school years talking to people. There was one person, actually, they led me to Christ. We've been friends for over 50 years and we'd maintain that friendship. And I was telling this person about what God was doing and then just flippantly said, hey, and by the way, if I've ever said anything or done anything that you know, offended you, that we've... The person started crying on the phone. I had no idea. I had touched a deep spot in them, and they told me what I had done and what I had said. I was mortified. Just another layer of reconciliation. I could just tell you so much more. So there's this whole series of deeper work. God wants to do a deeper work in us. The, the truth is, the American church likes faster, bigger, stronger and God is calling us to older truths, deeper work, transformational, and higher. The last thing I'll, I'll say to you is he's calling us to a higher level of learning, a higher level of living. We live in a culture that's very divided right now, and there are people that work very hard to take the Christian community and divide the Christian community. And I could talk a lot about that, but what I, would, what I would encourage us to do is recognize that to work at a higher level means that we work on higher values. I love the fact that you have your values laid out here. Values unite people. Beliefs tend to divide people. doesn't mean we shouldn't have beliefs. But if I was to ask a room of, uh, or ask the Olympia Lacey community, all the religious leaders to come into the room and say, hey, I'd like for you to come up with a set of common beliefs by the end of the day. 
It's not going to work. But I could call them in and say, could you develop a, a list of common values that would draw us together, that we could all agree on? You know, they may talk about love and joy and peace and forgiveness, mercy. We can agree on values. And I think God's calling us back to higher values. I, in the first service, I, I ended up reading from Ephesians and Colossians and, and Jesus talking about, you know, they'll know us by our love. Those are the values that the American church needs to come to and hold on to tightly. You may ask, how in the world do we do that? And I, I think it comes down to this. This is the application for you. I mean, this is trying to make a simple application because I know I'm just throwing a lot at you. But a simple application is let's start telling better stories. And what I mean by that is what's your Jesus story? What's your Jesus story this week? When you meet with people, why not talk about deeper things? When you come to church, let's not talk all right away about the Seahawks, but why not create an environment where we can say, what's your Jesus story this week? I mean, I can give you Jesus stories. Generosity stories, that's one of your stated values. What's your generosity story this week? I could tell generosity stories about my wife in particular. She, she stops at Safeway, sees the guy out on the street with his sign. She goes inside and she buys food for him. She says, do you mind? I go, I don't mind. I pull away from the parking lot. I stop close to him. She gets out of the car and she walks up to him and gives him a bag of food, some of it hot food. <laughs> and that's generous enough. But the next thing she does, the next thing, I'm sitting in the car. I mean, I'm just like, I'm still working on stuff. <laughs> I'm looking through the windshield. And the next thing I know, she's thrown her arms around him and she's giving him a big hug. See, that's a generosity story. That's a generosity of heart, not just food. That makes sense? Or, or a Jesus story. I'll give you a Jesus story. It just happened to me this week. Some of you might be able to relate to this one. I have been struggling with what am I going to do with the time that I have left? I mean, I'd like to do the best work of my wife, uh, wife, best work of my life over the next 10 years. And I think I probably will. And maybe 20. But I've still been struggling. What am I, you know, what am I going to do? And then I had what we call a reframe. And this is, this is deeper work. This is higher level thinking. But all of a sudden it hit me this week. This is a Jesus moment in my life. All of a sudden it hit me. It's not about how much time do I have left. I have the rest of my life. Do you hear the difference in that? That's a reframe. And that's a Jesus story in my life. Jesus has given me permission to live Whatever time I have left, I'm investing this way. I want to pour into people's lives. I want to help people be successful. I want to help people enjoy life, not just make life work. I want people to enjoy life that they've been given. That's my calling. That's what I'm going to be doing you know, after I'm done with this. I've got the rest of my life to do it. It could be a service story. How have you served this week? And then you could add to the, (laughs) 
just play with this. And what did it cost you? Well, that could be obedience. How were you obedient this week, and what did it cost you? You know, there's just a variety of ways to ask these stories so that we go and think older, deeper, and higher with our values. You may be tired. I know tired. I mean, I'm 65, and I need to be retired. So um, (laughs) when I was in college, I always liked this story. I'll end with this. When I was in college, I turned out for the cross-country team. And I used to be pretty good. I was a runner and, you know, tell you all that. I mean, I can lard the earth now, as Shakespeare would say, of Falstaff. But um, I turned out for the cross-country team. The end of the first practice, the coach says, all right, guys, go run the hill. I didn't know what the hill was, but all the upperclassmen did. So uh, they go to the edge of campus, and campus is on a hillside, and then down this hill is a sand hill. Ever run in sand? I did great. It was awesome all the way down. <laughs> and then I had to turn around and run up the hill, you know, and I'm just following the, the leaders. And so it's hard. I mean, the sand just keeps giving way and giving way. And it's a long hill. I mean, this is, I, don't, I can't remember how far it is, but it's probably in my mind like a quarter mile. You know, it's probably 100 feet now, but... but <laughs> Anyway, I'm running up that hill. I can't do it. I mean, it's the end of the practice, and I'm just chugging, chugging, chugging. My head is down. My eyes are closed. I'm pumping, pumping, pumping. And I finally quit because I can't go another step, but I've almost got to be close to the top. And I look up, and I'm like one-third of the way up the hill. (laughs) Well, we did that every day after practice. That was the last thing that we did. And the next day, I, I ran that hill, And I didn't get to the top. The next day I ran, didn't get to the top. But eventually a day came where I was getting in good enough shape and I was strong enough. I got to the top. Oh, I remember it so well. I got to the top and I just absolutely was was rejoicing. And I said, Coach, I made it. And he said, do it again. (laughs) Sometimes in our Christian walk, we can get awfully tired. You know, we have a lot of people pushing us to have our faith be bigger, stronger, faster. I would encourage you, if you're tired, don't be afraid. Do it again. But go deeper. Go older. Go higher. For God's glory and your own enjoyment. That's what he's called us to do. Enjoy him forever, starting today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for the privilege of being here. As I get ready to step out of the train car and watch that bar lift up across my lap and step up onto the platform, ready to walk off onto the the next ride you'd have me go on, I know I'm not alone. There are a lot of us here, Lord, that are dealing with stuff in life, and we We know it's frustrating because it feels like the foundations are being destroyed around us. We know that life can be hard. But we also know that you want to come alongside of us. You want to fill us. You want to strengthen us. And you want us to enjoy you forever. Help us to hold on to the older 
truths. Allow the deeper work of your spirit and be drawn to the higher values that are inspiring for our lives and others, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.